those words are so fitting for the season we're in as a church right now, as we're in this Advent season, Christmas. This idea of He won't fail. Because just last week we introduced this new series we're in, simply called Promise Fulfilled. And it's about the fact that God makes commitments to us and he follows through on every single one. Not a single promise from God ever fails. Now, there is a tension with this though, church. Because when I go on this faith journey with a lot of people, I notice that we all have kind of this expectation of God when it comes to his promises. We think if God has a plan for my life, if he has some purpose, it's gonna be awesome. It's going to be like the best thing ever. It's probably going to make me rich. It's definitely going to make my life easier. That's what God's plans will look like when they come through in my life. He's going to make my life a Disney movie. That's what God's going to do. And then real life happens. And I've talked to a lot of people that are disappointed, even disillusioned with faith because they're like, what happened to God's plan? This doesn't feel like a Disney movie. This is like some sort of Quentin Tarantino movie or Christopher Nolan film. Like this is not a happy ending kind of story. And so my title for today's message is actually the problem with promises. And we're going to lean into this tension of what does it actually look like for God's purposes to be fulfilled in your life? When God gets involved in your life, what should you actually expect? What might it look like? And if it does come with some problems, is there actually a silver lining you can look forward to? Something we can really put our hope in. So church, I'm excited to get after this. Will you pray with me as we do it? Let's go. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are a God that never fails. And you will not start now, Lord. You are a never failing God. So Lord, I pray right now that you truly would speak to our very souls in this place. That you would give us fresh help. And that you truly would transform us to be the people you are calling us to be. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Let me hear it second service. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Now we're going we're gonna to dig right in. We're going to be Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 13. Let, let's jump right in the story. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was, there is our magic word, everybody, fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now let's set the stage here right now so we can appreciate this. We're at a moment in history where Jesus has just been born. And so these wise men show up, maybe you've heard of them before, they bring gifts, they worship and even bow down to this kid. And there are rumors starting to spread. There's some sort of miracle baby that was born. Is this some sort of promised Messiah, Savior? What's kind of going on? But then everything starts to get a little dicey for Mary and Joseph. Now, I, I'm willing to bet there's probably a good number of ladies in here who have been through the newborn experience, right? That, that's quite an adjustment, isn't it? Like the whole deal. I mean, first... 
you found out you're pregnant, which is a big deal. And then maybe you start getting the nausea. Any ladies have the nausea experience? You smell a food and you just want to vomit. Then you just start getting weird cravings. You just like want foods you never wanted before. Weird stuff. I actually am really grateful. Nicole was obsessed with hot wings during her pregnancies. It was the best experience I've ever had. Nine months of hot wings, five days a week. I loved it. Um, you maybe buy a pregnancy pillow, which is like this giant oversized pillow so you can actually sleep. You got back pain. Everything's kind of hurting. You're checking the app to see what size the baby is, like an avocado or a cucumber, whatever it is. And then finally the time comes to actually deliver. And most ladies are lucky enough in our our country to get some type of clean private room, maybe even some drugs to help make it a little bit less painful. And you all know though, that is just the beginning of the experience. Because once this baby comes, you now have to take care of this thing. And you've got all sorts of feeding and waking up at night and just the entire process of raising a child. It's an adjustment. Now just consider for a second, Mary and Joseph's newborn experience. I mean, first off, you're Mary, you find out you're pregnant by the power of God, which can we admit that's a little strange? That's a little unusual. That's not something that typically happens. So much so where Joseph is not exactly excited about this apparent baby that came by a miracle, okay? He needs some explaining through this whole thing. Now Mary, she's carrying this child. She goes through the whole pregnancy journey. They are on a journey on donkeys while this lady's nine months pregnant. Can you just imagine jumping up down on a donkey with, I mean, I don't even want to picture that, ladies. That's just not pleasant. And then it's time to deliver, and you don't even have a place to do it. So she delivers this baby essentially in a barn, and we're told Jesus is even placed in a manger, which is essentially a feeding trough for an animal. Okay, if that is not enough, you're now Joseph, and an angel appears to you, which doesn't happen most days in my life. And this angel tells him, hey, guess what? There's some people who want to kill your kid. So you need to move immediately. Get out of town and go to a country which, by the way, is the same country that enslaved your people a couple generations ago. Okay, let's just overlook that detail. And you need to stay there for an indefinite period of time, which will turn into years. Okay, ladies, I know the baby's waking you up at night. <laughs> And maybe the breastfeeding's hard, but can we just admit something? Mary and Joseph had a for real newborn experience. That, that was next level. Okay, Th this is a whole situation that they're trying to navigate. And this is the kicker, everybody. Matthew says all of this was fulfillment. Everything that Mary and Joseph went through was part of of the plan. So I have a question for us today. What do you do when God's promises come with problems? Oh, God says, I got a plan for your life. You're going to change the world. You're going to leave a legacy. You're going to leave an impact. And it's going to be very uncomfortable for you. It's actually going to be unpleasant. You actually might hate this a little bit, just so you know. You should probably put a seatbelt on just to be able to get through what I've got for you. Can we just imagine for a moment the emotional and spiritual turmoil that Mary and Joseph had to go through in this entire experience? I mean, they are on track for a nice, comfortable, small-town life. Stable, sterile, easy, predictable. Everything they could have ever hoped for. And the entire plan gets blown up by God. And Matthew has the audacity to say, this was by design. 
this was actually part of God's promise for Mary and Joseph. But the promise came with problems. Now, everybody here, you have experienced this at least on some small level, in some way. Because I know I've talked to people before where you have grinded for years in your career. You have paid your dues, you've done all the things you need to do, and you actually finally got to that point where you reached it in your career. Like you're like, yes, this is what I was hoping for. I'm finally making the money. I got the respect. I can finally have some influence. But you know what you inherited with that new role? About 10, 20, maybe 100 problems. No, those problems call themselves staff. That's what they call themselves. But you know what it actually is. And it's so funny because I'll talk to people who reach the pinnacle of their career. They're like, I don't even know if this was worth it. I don't know if this is worth all the extra money because this is just headaches and problems. I actually have kind of a fun time talking to uh, people who, man, they've been saving for years and they finally get to the point where they can afford a house, especially in Colorado. That's a big deal, right? You get your, maybe your first home, maybe your dream home finally. And the reason I kind of laugh because they're like, yes, we got this promise in life. We've been hoping for this. And then the basement floods. <laughs> and then the water heater goes out. And then you get that email from the HOA saying you got to cut your grass, or your weeds are too much, and they're nagging you about that stuff, the $50 fine. Not like I'm talking about my life or anything. Um, Steve across the street is a total weirdo, and now you're going to live across the street from him for 20 years. And how are you dealing with Steve? And just the whole thing. It's like, man, maybe apartment life wasn't that bad after all. I, uh, I shared last week how I really believe becoming the pastor of this church was a promise in, in my life. And I remember when the board came and offered me this opportunity to join the church and it said on there, lead pastor. And I was like, yeah, I like the sound of that. That sounds impressive. And then a few weeks in, I'm like, that was the wrong title for this job. That was the wrong title. They should have said lead problem solver. Because that's, that's all I do all my week. I'm just fixing things that are broken all the time. That's literally what the job is. Now, when it comes to Mary and Joseph, they had problems, providential problems in their life. But they actually got to a moment where they were able to embrace this conviction. And if you are ever going to see God's plans come to fruition in your life, you have to hold this to the very depths of your being. You have to believe this at your core. And it's this. Better to embrace the problems and fulfill the promise than live for personal comfort and miss God. There are times when God is going to lead you into pain. There are times when God is going to ask you to do things you don't want to do. There are going to be things that God does in your life that are massively inconvenient and don't really benefit you a whole lot. And you have to decide in that moment, am I willing to embrace all of the problems that God's plans come with so I can see his purposes fulfilled in my life. Now, there's a couple, actually, that Nicole and I have become, friend, become friends with recently, and uh, the last time we hung out, they were telling us their story of adoption, 
with their family. And they went on this whole journey of processing whether that was for them. And I've been told by a lot of couples who've been through this journey that there's a really difficult form that you have to fill out when you go through the adoption journey. And it's essentially this form where you tell these agencies how much you feel like you can handle with basically the, the type of kid you may adopt, particularly around disabilities. And so they went on this journey of really trying to wrestle through what do we feel like God's calling us to. And they decided that they felt like God was asking them to be open to adopting a special needs child. Now, as they started processing this with their family and friends, they were actually kind of surprised by some of the response. Because most of their family and friends were like, well, hold up. You don't need to do this. Like, do you realize how hard this is going to be? Like, nobody is asking you to do this. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And so they actually processed more and prayed, and they got to the decision, like, no, we, we believe this is what God wants us to do. And they, they ended up adopting a beautiful little girl who does have some special needs. And when we were talking to them, they're very honest. They're like, oh, yeah, it definitely has come with its challenges. There is no doubt about that. But we would embrace those every single day all over again because we know what God wanted for our lives. He was fulfilling something in and through us. Some of you in here, you've been walking the faith journey long enough where you've seen this come full circle in your life. You're like, oh yeah, God brought me through some stuff. <laughs> like all those problems I had, it was actually God's fault. He made me do it. Like it was all on him. But when I see how he brought me through that and how he used that to fulfill things in my life, I wouldn't change a single detail because it's exactly what God wanted for me. Some of you guys can be a witness to how God has brought you through some of the worst problems in your life for what he wanted to do in and through you. And so this is what you got to wrestle through today. Are you willing to embrace the problems in order to access the promise? You cannot separate those two things. They actually come together. Now, right now, this sermon, um, you're not feeling encouraged yet, right? You're like, this is a lot of problem talk, Brian. Um, it's not very exciting. Now, I, I get that, but here's what's so cool about how God works. Because we actually see how this actually works out and what God's intentions are for us. See, look what happens um, right after this whole situation with Mary and Joseph. It says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, just for, so we can understand what's happening here. This is a prophecy from a guy named Hosea in the Old Testament that is referring to God's supernatural deliverance of his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is the Exodus, Moses, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and ultimately getting God's people to the promised land. That's all of this. And this reference now becomes a prophecy and prediction of Jesus's own exodus out of Egypt as a small boy. But this is the big idea that we have to see, everybody. You have to see this. God made a way out. God makes a way out. Hear me. The point is not the problems. That's not the point. The point is always the promise. Oh yes, problems are going to be a part of all of it. But there is a promise for deliverance. There is always a promise for a way out. 
So hear me today. If I'm trying to summarize what I'm trying to get at. If God leads you into problems, he also promises a way out. This is huge. I should have gotten some more amens there, okay, second service. I'm just saying. Expect that from first service. I know you guys give me a little bit more. God never leads somebody into pointless suffering. God will never call somebody to endure meaningless pain. If he brings something hard in your life, it is always and every time because he is working some plan out to be fulfilled in and through you. Every single time. You read through the whole Bible, this is exactly how God works with everybody. And we, we mentioned him last week, but his life is such a case study for God's work in our lives. Abraham. At one point in Abraham's life, God leads him into the most painful situation he would ever face. God asks him to sacrifice his own son. Think about that. God led him to this. And so Abraham is facing this impossible situation. And Hebrews actually gives us a little insight into what happened in this moment for Abraham. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the, oh, there's one of our words, promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So God does something strange to Abraham. He, he, he makes this guy a promise. First off, he says, you're going to have a kid, which he wasn't expecting. And he's like, I am going to fulfill promises through generations through this child. A nation's coming from him. And now I need you to sacrifice him. And Abraham is in this impossible, difficult situation. But the writer of Hebrews says, he embraced the promise. He trusted God even in the worst moment of his life. And if you know the story, you know that as Abraham was obeying God in the worst moment, God provided a way out. And God delivered Abraham in that moment. He delivered Isaac and he fulfilled the promise. You will see this over and over and over again all throughout the Bible. God will call people to the most difficult, scary, overwhelming situations they've ever faced. And then he'll provide a way out. He will prove his faithfulness. And he'll allow people to see that they can trust him through anything they're going to face. And if you are ever going to live out the purposes of God in your life, you have to get to a moment where you just decide. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter how overwhelming the seasons and situations are. I can trust the promise. Whatever problems may come, I can stand firm on the promises of God. There is um, a man who lived back in the 1800s. His name is George Muller. Um, this is kind of a fascinating guy from history. He was not a Christian, had no interest in God for the early part of his life, and then has this kind of radical conversion experience. He becomes a Christian. And his conversion came with this 
unbelievable passion for orphans. He just really developed a passion for orphans, so much so where he ended up starting the Ashley Down Orphanage, which quickly blew up to taking care of hundreds and then thousands of kids. In Moeller's tenure alone, they had taken care of 10,000 plus kids through this orphanage system that he started. Now, there was one little problem that George had with these orphanages. He felt like God asked him to not accept a single penny of government funding. Not only that, he felt God lead him to make this decision where he would never ask a single person for money to support this charity that he started his entire life. And so throughout his entire ministry, George never asked for a dollar. But you know what this meant? Problems. Lots and lots of mind-numbing problems. He kept very detailed journals through his whole life, and they're fascinating to read. Because you will see that this guy's back was against the wall almost every single other day of his life. You want to talk about stress? This dude had a hard life. And he would have these moments where there was no money, there was no food, he didn't know what to do, and all he could do was just plead to God for help. There was one famous story where they completely ran out of food. There was nothing for these kids. They couldn't get any food. And he actually, that morning, it's about to be breakfast. All these people are sitting waiting. And he's like, hey, everybody, we're going to pray and thank God for this amazing feast we're about to have. Will you all pray with me? And his head, he's like, there ain't no food coming right now because I'm just delaying. I'm just buying time. So we might as well pray. So he prays. He says, amen. And again, you can call it coincidence. I would call it providence. But in that moment, these milk trucks broke outside and then this random baker walks in and before they know it, they're having a total feast with all these kids that they had to feed. And there are dozens and dozens of stories like that for this guy all throughout his life. Now, God made him a promise. God said, I'm going to take care of these kids. But it is going to come with some hardship for you, George. And he embraced that his entire life. And because he was willing to embrace the problems, he got to see the power and provision of God in ways that most people never see their whole lives. Because he was willing to trust that God always makes a way out. Now, some of us in here, you are in a hard season right now. Like you're actually in the problems. You're living in the problem phase. And the message for you today is you have to remember, if God leads you to a problem, he's always going to lead to the provision. He's always going to lead to the way out. Your job is to persevere. That's what you have to commit to today. God, I am not giving up because I want to see your promises fulfilled in my life. And so for some of us today, this is a message and a call to perseverance so you can see God's work in and through your life. Now we get to see what transpires after this whole situation with Jesus getting out and coming back. Look what it says in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was, there's a word fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now I'm going to tell you guys, 
I actually think this is one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible. And interestingly, it's very conveniently ignored during Christmas time. <laughs> you know, hardest to find resources on this passage. Ain't nobody want to talk about it. And you're going to see why in just a minute. But we got to appreciate what's happening here. And to appreciate it, we got to rewind the tape. We got to go back 600 years. And at this moment in time, 600 years ago, God's people actually drifted from him. They were disobeying. They completely disowned God. And he warned them multiple times. He said, guys, this is not going to go well for you if you go in this direction. All right, this is not what you want to do. And it finally hits a breaking point where in 586 BC, Babylon, the world power of the day, invaded the nation of Israel and completely sacked the entire country, slaughtering countless people, tearing survivors from their homes, and bringing the entire nation into exile in Babylon, 600 miles away from home. And as they're taking these people captive, they gather them at a place called Ramah. Now, this is an important detail because to get these people to Ramah, they would have had to pass a very important tomb, the tomb of Rachel, who was a matriarch of the Israelites. And so, as they're gathering them right here, God speaks through this prophet Jeremiah to say, there is an exile coming. There is going to be weeping and mourning like you have never seen before. And in a figurative way, Rachel is mourning for her descendants, her kids, 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 kids. She is refusing to be comforted because these mothers of this nation know this is the end. This is the end of their hopes and their dreams. This is the death of a promise where now a power-hungry tyrant has come to wipe out God's people once and for all. Now we have to fast forward 600 years. We're in the first century. Herod, a king in the area at this time, hears about this promised king who was born. And he views this as a serious threat to his power. So he tries to manipulate these wise men. Hey, where was he born? When did it happen? But they juke him out and they get out of town. And Herod decides to take matters into his own hands. And as a way to wipe out this potential threat, he orders the killing of all these boys in this vicinity trying to target Jesus. Now, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they escape by the skin of their teeth, barely make it out. But so many other families were not nearly as lucky. And at this moment in time, Bethlehem would have been about 300 people, very small town. And scholars tell us that at that moment in time when Herod ordered this, one or two dozen boys would have been killed by this power-hungry paranoid tyrant. For so many families, this was the end of a promise. This was the death of all of their hopes and dreams. Can you imagine the weeping in that town when those soldiers came in, tearing those boys from their parents? And 600 years before Jesus, as these exiles are going to Babylon, it is the end of all their hopes and all their dreams. It is the death of a promise. And Matthew says, now in Bethlehem, 600 years later, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so he's saying in the same way, these people are experiencing the death of their own promises, the death of their own hopes and dreams. There are going to be seasons, situations, 
times in your life where all you can really say is it's over. There's nothing I can do. It is out of my hands. There's a man I've gotten to know who has had a long, great marriage in every way you could hope for. You know, the kids, family, paying the bills, things are working. And it was years into this marriage when his wife actually decided she wanted to be done. And there was nothing nuclear going on. There was nothing you could point to to say, oh yeah, that, that's a reason. It, she just one day decided, I'm done. And this man did every single thing in his power to salvage this thing. He said, let's go get counseling let's, for the kids. Can we just try and figure this out for the kids? Can, like, let's just take our time. Let's not do anything drastic. And she said, no. And at some point, he just had to accept the fact. It's over. Like, it is out of my hands. There is nothing I can do to salvage this situation. I've done everything. Sometimes the divorce happens. It's over. Sometimes the infertility is undeniable. A, a baby's not coming. Sometimes you cannot lie to yourself. The money is not there. It is not enough. And sometimes that person's not coming back. It's over. And every single one of us, you're going to have times in your life where the dream dies. The hope comes to an end. And all you can say is, it's over. Now, our hopes may die. Our dreams may die. But there is good news. Even though that may be true, God's promises never die. Now follow me. God's people just went into exile. Lots of people have died. It is the end of a nation, the end of people's lives, the end of their hopes and dreams. And God has a word for these people 600 years before Jesus in the middle of their worst moment of their lives. He says this, this is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Your work will be rewarded. Don't cry. Don't you dare start crying on me now. They will return from the land of the enemy. So I love this. There is hope, everybody. Aren't you grateful for hope? There is some hope. I promise you there's some hope coming. Follow me. There, <laughs> it's coming. There is hope for your descendants, declares Lord. Your children will return to their own land. God says, their worst moment. They're watching their families getting torn from houses. He's like, I know what it looks like. This is the end. This is the death of everything you could have ever hoped for. But hear me today. You thought these promises could be killed by some evil tyrant. You thought these promises could be ended by an enemy nation. You thought you could even end these promises. But there's something you need to hear today. God's promises never die. And even in this moment, one of the most horrific moments in history, God, after saying these words 70 years later, brings his people back from exile, right back home. Promise fulfilled. In the most hopeless situation. Because you can't kill God's promises. 
They cannot die. And even in the middle of this horrific situation, before God fulfills the promise, he has an audacious promise to make even here. Look what he says in Jeremiah 33. The days are coming to clear sword when I will, oh, I love it, fulfill the good promise I made. In those days and at the time, I will make, listen, this is key, a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. God promises. Around 600 BC, the arrival of this person from the line of David a future king, a righteous person. God says, someone who's going to bring true safety and security in ways you can't even imagine. And 600 years later, when everybody thought the promise was dead, oh, it was alive and well. Because a baby was born. And his name was Jesus. Oh, that's good. If you're in clap, let's clap. And he wasn't just a righteous person. He was God himself. The righteous savior of the world. And you have to see this, everybody. Jesus brought with him the ultimate promise. The promise of hope and joy and salvation and freedom from sin. But even Jesus's promise came with problems. Jesus was resisted, he was mocked, he was spit on, and he embraced it because he knew the promise that was to come. And even when his promise meant going to a cross to die, Jesus was still willing to endure it. And even when Jesus died on that cross and it was over, the promise was dead, God knew it was still alive and well because you cannot kill God's promises. And three days later, Jesus came right out of that grave. You can bury it as deep as you want, but it's going to come right out of that ground. And Jesus was alive and well, conquering sin and death once and for all. God made a way out, not just for Jesus, but for you and me too. He made a way out of the grave for Jesus, and he has now made a way out of sin for us. He has made freedom an open door for every person here, and he has made a way out into a future eternal hope. This is the God we serve, everybody. And you may be here today, and you've got problems. Some things have come to an end in your life. There's been the death of some hopes and dreams. Whatever may has died in your life, you need to know for certain today, God's promises for you will never die. He will move heaven and earth to fulfill them. And you may not even know what they are today. You're like, Brian, I don't know what his promises are. That's fine. You don't even need to know what the promises are. It's not the promises you should hold on to. You only need to hold on to Jesus. Because in him is the fulfillment of all of the promises God has for you. So as you cling to Jesus, your hope, your risen Savior, he promises you 
that he has the joy, he has the hope, and he has the fulfillment of every single promise God has for your life. In Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen from our church this morning? Church, let's pray together right now. Lord, we just praise you today. Not only are you a promise-making God, you are a promise-fulfilling God. Though there's no commitment that you make to us that you do not follow through on, Lord. But Father, I pray you change our perspective today a little bit. Lord, I know many of us have an expectation in this room that your plans for our lives are going to make things easier, better, more comfortable. And I know you do do that many times, God. You bring blessings upon blessings, and we're grateful for that. But Lord, I pray you give us the wisdom and maturity to understand that sometimes the purposes you have for us can be painful. They can be hard. They can be discouraging. And Lord, I want to specifically pray for anybody in our church right now who is going through a season like that. They are trying to be obedient to you. They're trying to be faithful, but it feels hard. It feels like there's no fulfillment. And Lord, I pray that today would be an opportunity to reinvigorate our souls, to have hope in your promises, to cling to Jesus, because we have a God who is alive. We have a God who is our living hope. So give us fresh hope today, God. Let us be a people that trust the promises because we know, Lord, all of the fulfillment is in you. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.